This morning's scripture reading will be in uh, the book of Daniel, be uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Daniel 5, verses 1 through 9. And I will be reading from the New King James Version. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem, and the kingdom his lords, which the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and of iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hands appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster on the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him. So then the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came but could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. Within the pages of Daniel chapter 5, we learn about the account of a man called Belshazzar. He was a man of great wealth and power, but he was morally and spiritually bankrupt. He was a ruler over a vast kingdom, but he could not rule his own heart. He was a man who commanded fear from his servants. People bowed in his very presence, but he had no fear of the God of heaven. Belshazzar walked among the wisest men of the day, but he ruled in ignorance concerning the most important things of this life. Now that behavior is not peculiar to Belshazzar. That behavior is going on today. It's happening all around the world. It's happening in our own nation. People live as if life is simply a party. That's what Belshazzar was doing, wasn't it? They live as if life is a party <clears throat> and that it'll never come to an end. They have zero, if uh, little if no, regard for God or His commandments, the things that He wants and wishes for His creation to do in this life. Most live uh, to gratify the impulses that we have in this life in whatever way they deem appropriate, whether God says it is or not. And that's what was happening at King Belshazzar's party, wasn't it? He threw a party, he gathered a thousand of his lords together, He wanted to come together with riotous living. He wanted to drink. He wanted to become drunken. He wanted to celebrate the godless lifestyles that each of them led. And he wanted the whole world to know about it. But like many today, 
Belshazzar was living as if his life would never come to an end. But he found out the hard way that that's not the case. So what we want to do as we study through the histories of the Bible, we want to look at the accounts of people who lived righteously in the sight of God and mimic their lifestyles. We want to do the things they did, but we also want to look at the lifestyles of those people who did not live godly lives so we can understand what that looks like as well. We don't want to live a God, an ungodly lifestyle, so we want to look at the accounts preserved for us, and Belshazzar is one of those accounts. We want to notice how Belshazzar lived, how his attitude affected his life. <clears throat> what the king should have been doing is asking the question, what about when the party is over? What do we do then? I've titled the sermon this morning, When the Party is Over. We better understand what happens when the party is over, right? Because a vast majority of people live in this world like it's a party. And that there's nothing that we, uh, for which we need to be held accountable. We're not going to have to give an account of the things done in this body, whether good or whether bad. They're just focused on the party. If Daniel chapter 5 was a play, it would be a tragedy. Not only would it be a tragedy, as I looked at this chapter, I found within it three tragedies. I want us to notice first, when the party is over, we may find the tragedy of a wrecked life. That's our first point. Belshazzar began his wrecked life with blaspheming God. He blasphemed. Do you know what blasphemy means? We, we're, we're aware of that. To speak evil against. And that's what Belshazzar was doing in his actions. We do not have to articulate the words in our mouths to blaspheme against God. Our actions can do that. What he did was <clears throat> bring together 1,000 people who could pat him on the back and tell him how great he was. And they came together for a night of drunkenness and immorality. He was a very weak individual, Belshazzar was. Drugs and alcohol and other sins, and and they indulged, I'm sure, in all of them. They are simply a temporary prop to the world's problems, and they aren't even a prop. They just add on to the problems, right? But those who involve themselves in those issues believe that it is a prop that helps them get through certain periods of time in their lives. But that's condemned. God condemned it from the very beginning of time. Let's go back and listen to what the wise man had to say. Proverbs 23, beginning with verse 29. Solomon warned. He said, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes, that they tarry long at the wine, they they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not upon uh, the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, it stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, 
or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say. And I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. <clears throat> That's what happens when we become drunken. When we allow ourselves to give in to the use of illicit drugs and things of that nature. Who has a woe? Well, you'll have one. Who has sorrow? The drunkard will have sorrow. There's no doubt about it. Who has contentions? The drunkard will have will be contentious with other people, right? Who babbles? That's classic, isn't it? Who hath wounds without cause? Who has the redness of eyes? See, Solomon spoke against that. Paul commanded this, Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. In his drunkenness, Belshazzar blasphemed God. In his drunkenness, he attempted to show the superiority of his idol gods by denigrating and ridiculing the God of the Hebrew people. He began to drink wine out of the the holy vessels. He treated the true God of heaven as if he was nothing. And that happens so often in our world today. People take things that uh, the things of God and they treat them as if they have no value whatsoever, don't they? Think about, what are the things of God? What are the institutions of God? What about the family? How many people have destroyed family after family after family by the same behavior that Belshazzar presented here? They hold no value for the family. We live in a microwave society, don't we? We want it all, we want it right now. Three minutes tops. That's how we live in this world, isn't it? No value for the family. What about the church? The church hasn't been treated as a blood-bought institution. It's been treated simply as maybe an afterthought. It holds no value in the world. You don't have to be a member of the Lord's church to get to heaven. That's not true, is it? That's not true. To get to heaven, you have to be a member of the church because that's where God places the saved, Acts 2.47. What about the Lord's Day? The Lord's Day. God doesn't put any kind of special emphasis on any day other than His day. The Lord's Day. He set aside the first day of the week so we could honor Him, we could worship Him. And what does the world look at the Lord's Day as? The one day, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, The one day I get to sleep in is on Sunday. How many of those same people would say, well, I'm going to start sleeping in on Tuesday? I was talking with Jeff, and he told me a joke about a fellow that was going to work. He, He worked four days a week. So the boss brought him in. He said, what's going on here? We work five days a week around here. Why are you only working four days? He said, because I can't get by on three. Right? I wouldn't I'd work three if I could get by on it, but that's what the world thinks, right? I can get by I can get by without uh devoting my time to the Lord. I can get by without honoring God in worship like He has commanded. It has no value in the world today. And Belshazzar looked at the holy things of God and he said they hold no value in this world. God's own words have been mocked and disparaged, haven't they? 
you know, the political season comes around and you begin to listen to people who are anti-God in almost every way and the first thing you want to talk about is, you know, whether anyone owns a gun or not, that's their business, I really don't care. But then they want to disparage gun owners and people who hold the Bible in high esteem. This isn't about owning a gun, but it's about the Bible. Everyone ought to hold God's Word in high esteem. But that's one of the first things people begin to attack. Those backwards people who believe in a myth known as God. Belshazzar wrecked his life with blasphemy. And do you know what blasphemy turns into? Every single time, if it goes unchecked, it turns into belligerence. And we see that in Belshazzar, don't we? Have you ever considered Belshazzar's grandfather? His grandfather was Nebuchadnezzar. Now we know all about Nebuchadnezzar. We've studied some of the, some of the most entertaining accounts that we can read in the Bible deal with Nebuchadnezzar. The fiery furnace. Daniel and the lion's den. Of course that was Darius, but we, we connect Daniel with, Belshazzar, with uh, Nebuchadnezzar. The great and fearsome image, right? All of those things, the dreams. But you know, as we look at the life of Nebuchadnezzar, I have come to believe something that maybe a lot of people do not agree with, and I could be wrong. But I believe through Nebuchadnezzar's life, he changed. I think he was a pompous, arrogant man. And he had this dream. And, and Daniel came to him and interpreted the dream. And in essence, he said, King, you're a very arrogant individual. And God is going to teach you a lesson unless you change what you're doing. Very prideful. And then about 12 months, the, the Scripture says, after Daniel had informed the king about what was going to happen, he was walking out and he was looking at this great Babylon and I, I can't help but feel he was looking at those beautiful hanging gardens and he said, oh, look at this Babylon that I have created. And before the words even left his mouth, God took his mind, he sent him out into the wilderness to live like an animal, he ate like an animal, and for seven times passing over him, for however long that was, he stayed in the wild without the mind of a man and lived as an animal. But then something happened. It is recorded for us, and I want us to notice. Daniel 4, beginning with verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored Him that liveth forever whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom and mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth 
in his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. What happened to him? I think he converted. He became a believer. You know what we don't read in the, in the scripture? Is Belshazzar making those statements about the God of heaven. He was belligerent and he knew exactly what had happened to his grandfather. He knew exactly what had happened. He knew who Daniel was in our passage this morning, or rather in our chapter, verses 14 and 16 of Daniel 5. He said, I've heard of thee. Why? Because he was the dream interpreter. And he knew about what his grandfather had done. And he knew about how God had abased him and how God had brought him back up to authority and honor as the king of Babylon. He was belligerent. I think that's a prominent aspect of Belshazzar's life that we must never forget. He was simply belligerent. He didn't care. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. You know what happens when that happens? There's nothing left but judgment. That's all that's left. The writer of Hebrews warned, Hebrews 10, beginning verse 26, read with me. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries, he that despised Moses' law, died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Of course, this is a completely different context, but there is the application. Belshazzar, or, uh, Belshazzar knew the history of his land. He knew who his grandfather was. He knew about Daniel. He knew the God of heaven was exactly who he said he was because he had the evidence. Yet he rejected him. So what's the application today? Well, all who reject God are going to face that fearful thing of falling into the hands of the living God, especially those who have once been faithful to God. They'll understand it even more so. Belshazzar allowed the things he enjoyed in this life to wreck his life through blasphemy and through belligerence. You know, and there's only one thing that follows a wrecked life. That is not kept in check. That is not recovered. And that is the wrath of God. That's our second point. God's wrath is always focused on sin and rebellion. Never has God's wrath been extended to anyone who was faithful. Now he may have extended his wrath to the faithful who made a mistake and he chastised that faithful person to come back. But as a person lives faithfully to God, he will never experience the wrath of God. But Belshazzar crossed the line of no return, didn't he? It happened very quickly with Belshazzar. He had lived in such a way up to that point that his heart had become so hardened that it did not matter. He was not going to repent of his lifestyle. Paul warned those in Rome, Romans 1.24, 
that God will give the unrepentant over to their sinfulness. God will give us what we ask for. And if we want to live a life of debauchery and sin and evil and wickedness, He will allow us to do that. By inspiration, John commanded, 1 John 5, 16, He said, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. So we have two kinds of sins, right? We have two categories of sin. We have a sin that's not unto death and we have a sin that is unto death. Belshazzar sinned a sin unto death. But we have to understand exactly what that sin is. What is a sin unto death and a sin not unto death? I thought a sin was a sin was a sin. Well, a sin is a sin. That's why there's two categories, either unto death or or not unto death. The sin unto death is one where I refuse to repent. And John said, Do not pray for a person to be forgiven when they will not repent of that sin. That's a sin unto death every time. He says, You pray for that brother or that sister who sins a sin not unto death and they repent and they want to change their lives and, and they turn back to God. See, Belshazzar was not able to do that. His heart had become so hardened he couldn't repent. That's what happened to Pharaoh, wasn't it? As Moses was leading the children of Israel out of captivity. Ten times he said, you can go. And ten times he changed his mind. Ultimately, he lost his life. And we thank God for his mercy. But we also have to understand he is a God of wrath. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of wrath. He's a God of love. He's a God of hate. God hates things, right? That's what Solomon said. Six things. Yea, seven things God hates. We better hate what God hates. He focuses his wrath, though, on the sinful. Notice what Paul warned, Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That's his focus, wrath on sin. He also said this, Romans 11.22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them who, which fail severity, but toward thee goodness... If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. There is a focus to God's wrath. And when it is delivered, it is final. Once God delivers wrath, it's final. It's over. He delivered his wrath upon the world. Genesis chapter 7. There wasn't a thing that those outside of the ark could have done, because I'm sure they tried everything, to be allowed onto that ark once the rain started. When Sodom and Gomorrah began to be uh, pummeled with fire and brimstone, there was not a thing that could be done to save them from that. They had gone past the point of no return. It was final. Daniel told Belshazzar, Because he was not offered other options, was he? He wasn't given another opportunity. He wasn't 
advised to go repent, notice what happened. Daniel told the king, Daniel 5.25, and this is the writing that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet. Look at his backwards thinking. He commanded Daniel be clothed with scarlet. He put a chain of gold about his neck, and he made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. What good did that do him? In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. The opportunity for repentance had passed. There will come a time when God's patience will run out. There will come a time when He visits the world in judgment. But there will be times when we as individuals will leave this life. The world's still going on. Belshazzar met his end. The choice of eternal glory or eternal damnation rests with each of us and Belshazzar chose wrongly. As we look at the king, when the party is over, we read about a wrecked life leading to God's wrath and finally we see the wretched end. That's our third and final point. Belshazzar's end was sudden, wasn't it? He wasn't given days and weeks and months. In, in fact, in that night, he was murdered at the hand of Darius the king. Because while the king was engaged in immorality, while he was engaged in this party, he was, he was behind tall uh, walls, some of them 300 feet tall. He was behind towers. He had soldiers and guards. He just knew that the, that the city could not be breached. So he spent his time at the party. While all of that was going on, Darius the Mede diverted the water supply that went into the city and his soldiers marched underneath the castle and entered into the city and he killed Belshazzar. Now, why was Belshazzar not watching for that? He thought he was safe. He thought he was secure. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to believe. He wanted Belshazzar to believe that. Most in the world do not worry about death. But it's coming. Death is coming. And following death, according to the, writers of, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 9.27, is the judgment. We're going to face that. And we know it's coming because God appointed a time for it to come. Now, He hasn't appointed a time for each individual in this world to die at a particular time, but He has appointed that death will come to all people and following the end of this world, He has appointed a judgment. You know, most don't expect it, do they? We don't expect to die. Listen, we expect to get up in the morning. We need to make plans. 
in the morning or next week. I need to prepare my life as if it was going to be, but I need to live like I'm not going to make it. I need to live my life as if God could return at any time and I need to be faithful. Most do not expect their lives to end and Belshazzar didn't expect it to end. Now we can be ready for death. But if we're not and death comes upon us, it may be very sudden that it happens. But either way, if we're not prepared, we will die a sinner's death. Just like Belshazzar. I think that's the most tragic part of the account. At his death, he was paid his wages for living a life of sin, Romans 6.23. He earned it. And he was given his wages. And he was given his wages in full. He not only died physically, he died spiritually. Because he died lost. Do you know that he can still recall the words of Daniel? Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. He is still Belshazzar. He remembers what his life was. He regrets giving Daniel the necklace instead of bowing down to the God of heaven and asking forgiveness. Do you know, perhaps, if he had done that, but see, he hadn't, he'd gone past the point of no return. All he had to do was fall down on his face, ask God to forgive him, ask Daniel to pray for him, to mediate on his behalf, to intercess for him. Daniel would have done it if Belshazzar had been serious and sincere about it. But it was too late for him. It's too late for Belshazzar. But it's not too late for us to learn from his mistakes. Belshazzar led a wrecked life. Because of that, he was given the wrath of God and a wretched ending. But that doesn't have to apply to anyone else who's alive today. If we have soft hearts, if we're willing to obey, if we have the courage to do what we know is right, we can live. Well, we're not going to live forever in this world, but who wants to? Right? Who wants to? Everybody wants to live when they feel good, right? There comes a time in everyone's life when you don't hardly feel as good as you used to. And who wants to live to be a thousand then, right? It was okay back in the days of the patriarchs. They began to have children at 500, so they must have felt pretty good still, able to uh, rear children and, and work hard. But see, it's not so today, is it? What's the average lifespan? Less than 80 for a man. And, you know, if your last 20 years in this world is pain and misery, who wants to live like that for a thousand years? See, we're not going to live forever in this world, but we can live forever in the next. You know how comforting it is to know that a loved one has gone into eternity saved, and now we can look back and we can say they're not enduring that punishment anymore. They're not having a hard time with this aspect of their health anymore. They're being happy. They are so glad they are where they are and they wouldn't trade with any of us. None of the tragedies that Belshazzar endured have to be our tragedies. We can be faithful. We understand how to do that. We understand how we become faithful in the sight of God. Different from when Daniel was walking the earth. We have to believe in Christ, the risen Savior, right? 
John 8, 24, we have to believe He is who He said He was. We have to repent of past sins. Acts 3, 19. Peter admonished those, repent and be converted. We have to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. That He did die for our sins. That He, he came up out of the grave and He rules today at the right hand of the Father. Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Acts 8, verse 37. And then we're immersed in water, the final act of getting into Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Having our sins removed, Acts 2, 38. And being added to the Lord's church, Acts 2, 47. That's how we do it. Isn't that simple? I'm so thankful to God that the plan of salvation is simple. Sometimes we make mistakes in this life and we, we step outside of the light. We're no longer walking in the light. We're not being faithful to God, but He's made arrangements for that. He understood that we would make mistakes in this life and He says that if we'll confess our faults, He's just to forgive us our faults. 1 John 1, 7-9 The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, James said. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this morning, if you need to obey the gospel, you haven't done that, do that. Don't leave here not in a covenant relationship with God. If you have and you become unfaithful, ask God to forgive you. We'll pray with you and for you. And He's just to forgive you. If you need to answer this morning, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.